0: Thrilled that we're here together and we want to learn together so we all learn from each other. The theme of the conference is movement. So, what I wanted to do is give you an overview of movement. And you're going to learn a new word. I'm sure most of you have not heard of this word. So, we're going to talk about living in liminality. Somebody say liminality. Sort of sounds like the word limit, but it's different, almost the opposite. So Father, we pray you'd help us to understand movement, adaptation, culture, and how the gospel is bigger than all of that. It transcends every culture and every ethnic group. Help us, oh God, to understand also how You want to enlarge our hearts and help us to know what you want of us in these next few years. In Jesus' name, amen. And so I'm gonna state a few obvious facts about God. I'm sure you all know that God is never static. God is immovable, but is always moving. He's the unmoved mover and shaker the uncaused cause. As his universe is constantly expanding faster than the speed of light, he is always expanding and creating unexpected opportunities and horizons, and if we've ever seen that in our life, it's the last six to eight months. He even describes the Holy Spirit as the wind that blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it's going. And oftentimes, God is moving in a way that we don't understand. We know he's here, but we don't know where he's going. But it is up to the church to understand the times and the seasons that we live in and to seize the opportunities afforded us by a crisis and a mega shift or an epochal shift. So we have a time right now unlike anything that we have seen perhaps in more than a hundred years. But God has called the church to understand the times and to act accordingly. And the churches and leaders who do not change or adopt according to the times and seasons, including businesses, they are already on on the decline and in danger of extinction. Jesus said many words about this, but we're just going to go to Matthew 16. And he was rebuking the religious leaders and he said, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the time. So they had religion, they had right belief, generally speaking, but that didn't mean they knew the heart and mind of God so he was correcting them for not being able to understand the signs of the times. I wonder what he would say about us here in this room. And then he goes on to say, A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, because they asked him previous to the statement for a sign. But he said, No sign shall be given to it except, and it's interesting, the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. And so Jesus expected them to use the scriptures as a backdrop to discern their present day. Because he told them, no sign will be given except Jonah. And he expected them to know the biblical story of Jonah, to understand what was going on then. In Luke 19, when Jesus was weeping over the city... The last words he said to them in this particular passage was they will not leave on you, meaning Jerusalem and the Jews, one stone upon another because you did not know or understand the time or day of your visitation. And so understanding what God is doing is so vital, even according to what we see here in that particular moment, that if... We, whether it's a church or business or individual Christian, if we don't understand what God is doing, and if we miss it, it could mean we'll be crushed by the circumstances as many Jews there were crushed because they were still in old Israel, still depending on the old temple model. And Jesus said, I'm not even going to leave one stone upon another. I'm going to totally deconstruct everything you know and believe, even your physical temple. But those who understood what Jesus came for, thrived and multiplied even when others were deconstructed and destroyed. And so even in this present time when churches and businesses adapt accordingly, they thrive even during COVID and some collapse because they haven't reset or reinvented themselves So now we're going to get to liminality. What is liminality? We need to learn how to live in liminality. The early church and throughout the last 2,000 years of church history, the people and movements that understood and thrived in liminality were the ones who God used. Uh, The word liminal comes from a Latin root, limon, or limon, which means threshold. Somebody say threshold. The liminal space is the crossing over space, a space where you have left something behind, yet you are not fully somewhere else. It's a middle place, it's a transition space. It is the term used to describe the psychological process of transitioning across boundaries and borders. Liminality uncovers who we are when we are in that uncertain place. It shakes us out of our habitual lives. It draws us out of what we have known, yet it doesn't allow us to know what's coming next. It is a time of crises, of confusion at times, it shows us our strengths and our weaknesses. It shows us that we're really depending upon God. Many of you are in that liminal space now. Perhaps you lost your job. Perhaps you're in between churches or geographic moves. Perhaps you're not even sure where your relationship is going to go with somebody. So you're not fully, uh, you've left something, but you're not fully in the next place. You're in that in-between place. Maybe you're in Never Never Land, the place between dreams and the time you awake, as Peter Pan would say. I don't know. Uh, The caterpillar in the chrysalis stage intuitively began building a cocoon without really knowing what was going to happen inside that cocoon. That's sort of like a liminal space. So what does the scripture teach us related to movement and adaptation and change? Well first of all the Bible admonishes all of us to change to expand and to grow. In 2nd Peter 3:18 it says but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That word grow means a continual process of expanding who you are in Christ and your knowledge that experiential, not just intellectual, knowledge of Christ. And so it's not so much just learning new doctrines. Uh, You could learn all the doctrines and theologies in the world and never even be a Christian for that matter. It has to do with experientially growing and knowing God as a result of that uh, knowledge of God. That's how you grow. It tells us in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17 and 18, Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. You see that? Being transformed. It never stops. Into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord. So that same spirit. It's like the wind that blows. We know it's there. We don't know where it's going. That same spirit is that spirit of liberty that blows up inside of us the Word of God and causes us to come into a greater place of liberty based on the knowledge of God, which is conformity to Jesus Christ. And so there's an individual command and assumption of God's Word that you are all growing. So if you are at the same place you are today in God as you were last year, then you are not fulfilling what God is requiring of you here in 2 Peter 3.18. The second kind of growth is geographic expansion and change. In Mark chapter 1, the apostles, the original 12, were looking for Jesus, and he said, uh, they said, everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I came forth. In other words, he couldn't stay just in one place. He understood that liminality. He understood that he was called to just more than one expression of Israel or one town. In Acts 1.8, his parting words were that we ought to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, which had to do with geographic expansion, but also had to do with cultural adaptation and using different methods and language to communicate who Christ was so that we could reach the ends of the earth. Uh, We see the response of the Twelve and the apostles, very typical of most people. Just picture yourself a first-century Jew and come in and know Christ, and only knowing Jesus as the Messiah but not understanding that he's the Kyrios, the Lord. Uh, That would be more significant to Greeks and Gentile kings who didn't understand Messiah. So they said, um, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So even after Jesus was with them for three and a half years, he was about to ascend into heaven, they still didn't get it. They thought it was all about Jerusalem, all about a political kingdom, all about Israel. They were still monocultural. They were still Jewish-centric. He had, he had been telling them that they're supposed to go to the ends of the earth, and he still they still didn't understand it. So Jesus' answer was, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. You're not staying in one culture, in one context, in one liminal place, in one space. He said, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons which the father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and then you'll be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Um, And so he countered their Jerusalem-centric understanding of Messiah to, no, no, you're not just staying in Jerusalem, you're going to Judea, Samaria, which was half-breed, half-Jewish, and half-Assyrian, then you're going to the full-blown pagans, to the ends of the earth. Um, So the center of the Jewish worldview was being shaken, at least with the Christ followers. They only understood the temple. They only understood the city of Jerusalem and the temple of Jerusalem. They only understood him as Messiah, as the Jewish Messiah. But soon they were going to preach him as king of kings, lord of lords, the very language the Romans used of their Caesar or the Persians used of their uh, king. They would call their king the king of kings, the god of gods, the lord of lords. So as we go into the Gospels, I'm sorry, the book of Acts, we're going to start seeing how they started using that terminology, and especially then in the epistles and then, of course, the book of Revelation. He's literally called the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, as the church grew and understood, "Wait a minute, it's not all about Jerusalem. It's not all about my culture, my space, my time, my comfort zone. It's about God's times and seasons. And the ones who get in line with that are going to have an incredible ride for the rest of their life. Matter of fact, if there's somebody here who thinks God is boring and church is boring, then you don't know the same God or the church that I know, that's for sure. We even see the focus of the two different uh, kinds of great commissions. We see the Matthean commission or the commission, great commission that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 28. And we find Jesus commanded them to make disciples of all nations. That word nation is the word ethnic or ethnos, which has to do with people groups of one ethnicity. And so what he was teaching them is, well, in the next verse he said, I want you to baptize these people groups. So the word nation is a corporate collective of tribes, of people groups or ethnics. And what he's saying is, I want their identity to change to my identity. I'm not calling you to destroy the ethnic groups. I'm calling you to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Get them out of bad things in their culture. Get them to identify with me and teach them to obey everything I've called you to do. And so he's called us to not only adopt a culture, but to shift culture, to change it, to baptize people groups, Then we have another aspect of it in the Gospel of St. John in chapter chapter 20, verse 21. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Well, how did the Father send Jesus? The Father sent Jesus with a human body. He had an incarnational experience. He took upon himself human flesh. He was present with us. He preached to us, but he didn't preach at all, Uh, just preach, but he healed. He cast out demons. He loved. He broke down cultural taboos, and he broke down walls of separation between male and female and between uh, Gentiles and Jews and and brought a true understanding of God's heart as opposed to the tradition of the elders and the rabbinic writings that distorted who God was. He said that uh, you need to learn what the prophet says, quoted Hosea 6.6, 6, that I desired mercy, not sacrifice. And they didn't understand that. And so the Johannan Commission talks about incarnation, loving and being present. The Matean Commission talks about teaching, discipling, to such an extent that whole cultures are changed, which affects radically Uh, how people identify with God even whole nations have been changed by the gospel as we see in human history and so he's trying to get them out of the center of their universe which was the city of Jerusalem and its temple to start anything bigger than that construct bigger than that one little space bigger than that building outside and seeing how God is involved with the whole world with all of creation and not just the Jews. And that was always God's hidden mystery throughout the ages, but was fully uh, revealed more or less to Paul more than anybody else as he wrote that great book, Ephesians. And so we see that God wanted the Jewish people, his chosen people, to reach out to others, but they had to get into a liminal space, and they were afraid to cross that threshold out of, Judaism into a pagan world, into an unknown world, into a world that didn't honor temples and circumcision and mosaic law and certain rituals of cleansing. Going amongst these dirty, filthy, pork-eating pagans was not an easy thing. As a matter of fact, it took a vision uh, that God had to give Peter in order for him to step into the home of an Italian and bring the gospel to him. And we see that God had to force liminality by bringing or allowing a persecution. We see in Acts chapter 8, that at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. Key. Not an accident. Trying to break up that world, that, that, that uh, convenient place, that place of safety and comfort. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And so if you don't obey God's call and assignment, if you don't step into that space of liminality, God's going to force it. He's going to have his way somehow or another, even if it takes a crisis. And so those who were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria uh, went about preaching everywhere the word. And because of that, the whole city was turned upside down. But they would have never left if there wasn't a persecution. If you didn't have that financial crisis, you would have never found the next place. If you didn't have that relational crisis, you would have never found that next place. You would have been comfortable. God shakes everything that can be shaken because he loves you so much. He doesn't want you to live in stability and comfort. He wants you to live in liminality. You're the most powerful when you're totally depending upon God more than your own resources and your own comfort zone. doesn't mean everyone has to move geographically, but it has to do with within even your own community. There are different things that he wants to do. God is always moving, and he wants us to expand our influence. We see the same thing with the birth of the church of Antioch in chapter 11 of Acts, in verse 19. Not only were those scattered, preaching the gospel in Samaria, that we also see they they actually planted the greatest church in world history, the Church of Antioch. It says, those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephan traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. So they planted churches in these three cities, and the Antiochian church became the great missionary church that originally sent Paul and Barnabas. Um, And so by the time we get to the Antiochian model of church, we see that God was able to snap the church out of a monocultural Jewish understanding of the gospel. In Acts 13, when the church was a little bit more established and first they preached only to Jewish Hellenists, but then they started preaching to full-blown Greeks and they started getting different people saved... Uh, Greeks, meaning people who were not Jewish and who spoke the Greek language. So then by the time we get to Acts 13, we see even the leadership of the church was multi-ethnic and multi-vocational. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, he was a real estate mogul. We see in Acts chapter 4, he would sell property and lay it at the apostles' feet to support the work of God. We have Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene. Both of them were people of color. They were from Africa. Then we have Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. So we don't know if he was a a brother or he was a half-brother or he was just raised in the family because... Uh, maybe there was some kind of uh, bivoc- um, vocational connection there, but we know that Menaean was brought up in politics, so we assume he was some kind of political leader and he had political connections, that's for sure. And then we have Saul, who was a tent maker, but he was also brought up uh, under the feet of— uh, brought, he sat at the feet of Gamal- Gamaliel, So he was uh, both a religious leader, but he was also a business leader. So we see these bivocational people of different ethnicities that were now together leading one church, and they became the most powerful church of the book of Acts, as far as I'm concerned. So we saw individual growth. We saw geographic change and cultural change. Now let's go to the third example of liminality, we see church expansion and change. When Paul is talking about measures of influence, we we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us. So he's appointed everybody some kind of geographical sphere, that's what he's talking about, a sphere which especially includes you, We are not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you. Meaning, yes, God gave us the authority to plant the gospel in Corinth to be your leaders. Um, For it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ, not boasting of things beyond measure, that is, in other men's labors, but having hope, now look at this, that as your faith, as this local church, has greater faith, and that doesn't just mean believing God for great things, it also implies being grounded in the faith, the doctrine. Uh, As your faith is increased, as you're more established and grounded, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere. So to the extent that a local church gets established to that extent, Does the apostolic leader who planted it have more ability to leave and plant another church or to go to other regions? That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, I can't go beyond your growth because I don't want to leave you in a bad state. At the same time, I depend on the local church to support me so that I could continue to extend the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? So as your faith is increased, we will be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere. So to the extent the local church is strong, to that extent can the apostolic leadership continue to be released. To do what? To preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 6, we see he planted a church in Thessalonica and he was bragging about them and he said in his letter, 1 Thessalonians, he said, You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. Why? For from you, this is the proof, they were examples, that they were doing what God wanted, that they were growing. From you, the word of the Lord. Now, he's talking about a local church, not just some superstar evangelist. From you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place. Your faith towards God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. So, in this instance, the people in the church were expanding the gospel, not the apostle. So that Paul didn't even have to teach them anything, uh, because they did all the teaching. They did all the work. It's amazing there, for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of effect we had on you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So you see there, church expansion. So first we talked about individual expansion, and secondarily. Uh, We talked about the expansion that comes from a geography, geographical shift and change. Then we see church expansion and change. Uh, Number four, let's see how liminality works in cultural adaptation and change. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19, For though I am free from all men, I've made myself a servant to all that I may win some. To the Jews I became as a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, uh, as under the law that I may win one, those who are under the law. And to those that are without the law as without law. And then he says, to the weak I became as weak that I may win the weak. I become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake. You see that liminality in even his methods and even how he presented the gospel. He never changed the message, but the method was constantly changing with Paul. He was a walking liminal man. And he does this for the gospel's sake that I may be a partaker of it with you. Then he says in verse 24 to 27, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run but only one receives the prize run in such a way that you may obtain it meaning if you don't know how to shift and change and adapt to your circumstances you're not going to hit the mark you're not going to win the race it is required that we change it required it is required not only that we grow spiritually but we grow mentally that we grow in strategy in ingenuity and in creativity and as a local church, everybody has gifts that they contribute for that to happen. So as a collective, we become a collective genius. As individuals, we may fail or falter or flounder. But as a collective that is apostolic, we're always expanding, whether releasing an apostle to go somewhere else or ourselves uh, just expanding the gospel. But every person is called to adopt and to become all things all men so that we may save some. Um, the biggest challenge, as I said already, was the early days of the church where the Jerusalem church didn't understand how to adopt what they thought a Jewish Messiah and his gospel, uh, how that would adopt to the world. And it almost totally sabotaged the the mission. It was finally worked out in the book of Acts chapter 15 where they had a debate between the Judaizers who were followers of Messiah but believed that everyone had to be circumcised to be saved. So they were mixing temple worship and ceremonial law with the gospel. It was okay. It was quite a right for Jewish people who were saved to get their children um, ceremonially uh, circumcised because they were Jewish. They didn't have to follow the law to be saved, but you know, that was okay. But Gentiles, that would be really weird, the rite of circumcision. And so they were being told by people who didn't understand this shift that they had to be circumcised to be saved. And that's why we have the book of Galatians and Hebrews, where Paul said, if you get circumcised, then the grace of God is of no effect. He says, you're fallen from grace. Why? Not that there's anything wrong with circumcision, but the manner or the reason, the motive behind it was they thought that that would bring salvation. It actually replaced Jesus as Messiah or Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so we can get so stuck in the mud with certain traditions that are not absolutely essential for salvation that we literally turn people off from the gospel not because of the cross, but because we do not want to become all things to all people. We don't want to change our methods. We don't want to speak the language of the people.